When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, I'm Jimmy Bullard and this is me old Mac of Venus. We're back together, son. How are you? Hey, Bully. Great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. This episode is sponsored by Nightmare on Vicky Elm Street. To be more like Vicky, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler Show, become an official sponsor, get bonus content, and grow the show today. His back is strong, his beard is thick. Wonders what makes people tick. Joe Marler and his show. Joe Marler, here we go. Hello, welcome to our show. I'm Joe Marler. This is Tom Fordyce. Hello, Joe. Don't do that. Why? That's my intimate voice. Hello, Joe. I didn't do it as well. I'm going to start again. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Joe Marler and this is Tom Fordyce. Hello, Tom. Hello, Joe. You all right? Am I all right? (sighs) I'm not that bothered. It was just to sort of get the conversation going. Excellent. What you got for me? I've got a little game of how many is too many. Fucking Cue the jingle. How, 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 how many? How, how, how many is, is too many? How, 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 how many is too many? Many, many, many. Many men. Your first how many is too many today, Joe Marler. How many is too many members to add to a WhatsApp group? Oh, fuck. Oh, I've just got added to a, a group and I clicked on participants and it's got 115 participants. 115. What's the name of this group? You don't need to tell me what it's about unless it's indicated very clearly by the name. This group is called... Killing Kittens, and it's a famous sex party (laughs) group, (laughs) so perhaps... Who are some of the other participants? I'm surprised that people have used their real identities. Um, So the real identity, some of the participants are... uh, No, uh, (laughs) I can't reveal these sources. No, it's an old, it's a rugby group set up by an ex... Rugby player, it isn't a sex party. It is a charity day that he wants members to attend and he's clearly thrown his net out fucking wide. It does get on my tits, if I'm honest. Pity invite, if anything. Well, let's bring it back to the initial question, Joe. How many is too many members on a WhatsApp group? More than 30 is too many. So 30 is the answer you're giving? Or 31? 31. 31 is is too many. 30 is the right number for a WhatsApp group. Your second, how many is too many, Joe? Spare seats around you on a train. 
I'm going to give you a scenario to just to, to help you with your thinking. You've got a classic four seats around a table. Yeah. You want the whole thing to yourself? No, that's selfish. I'd happily have those four seats taken. Would as you? Long, as long as the leg room, yeah. I can at least cross over or we're not touching knees or the other person hasn't got a skirt or short on that we're actually touching flesh. <laughs> I don't mind touching a trouser or a dress. Would you make a preemptive leg room strike and stretch out fully, thus occupying not only the space under your part of the table, but also an element of those? Now, they can straddle your outstretched legs and not touch you, but you've basically alphaed it. I do tend to alpha it, mainly because I need the leg room. I need... What if I, they're taller? Um, fuck them. I'm all for being nice, but fuck them. Would you ever go diagonal legs? Never. That is so unsociable. What about the armrest between you? Let's. Say I'll always put the armrest down, really what? make a statement, unless I'm sitting next to someone like Eddie Hall or <laughs> another strongman competitor. Where they're Does that happen often? Dwarf me. Not happened yet. Um, I do remember this, though, that I was on a packed train and people started getting on, so I moved my bag from the seat to obviously allow someone to sit down and put it on my lap. It was still quite snug. And then I was half, had my headphones on, listening to something. And the guy went, do you mind if I sit here? And instead of going, yeah, of course, no worries. I went, yeah, it's a free country. <laughs> and as soon as I said it, he like paused and then sat down as if to be like, Fucking hell. He was definitely thinking, uh, that's passive aggressive, mate. Well, In fact, right. it was aggressive aggressive. <laughs> and I sat there for the rest of the journey just with regret of, I didn't mean for it to come out like that, but it was like, clearly I'm okay with you sitting down there. That's why I moved my fucking bag. So you didn't need to actually ask me. So aggressive, aggressive, <laughs> aggressive. <laughs> Your third, how many is too many for today, Joe? Days alone. How many is too many days alone? In a row? Three. Why? I'm a home bird. I love my wife. I love my kids. And I love spending time with them. I love people on the whole. I love interacting. I'm comfortable. This is like reading a children's book. <laughs> I love my wife. <laughs> I love my children. Joe loves his children. <laughs> and uh, I get a bit lonely. Hmm. I'm comfortable in my own space, but Joe 2, Joe 3, Joe 4, Joe 5 can sometimes get a bit much. What's the longest you've ever spent on your own? 32 years. <laughs> <laughs> We're all alone. If you think about it, think about it. Ultimately. Just think about it now. My God. We're all alone. Shit. We come in alone and then we die alone. And on that note, if you're feeling alone and you'd like to feel part of the most wonderful community, <laughs> you can now subscribe to support the show. Three ways you can do it. Apple, Spotify and Patreon. For just a pound a week, you can get bonus content, ad-free episodes. You'll be growing the show at the same time and you'll never again feel lonely. And if you don't want to be alone with your eyes, <laughs> you can now watch this show with them on YouTube. Why don't you subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can find full episodes and a bit of extra content too. You can also follow us on social media. Just search for at Joe Marler Show. Who have we got coming on now, Tom? 
we've got an expert, Joe, in black holes. Why have you put emphasis on the word holes? <laughs> you heard an emphasis I didn't put. Oh, no. Right. I need to prepare myself for this one on many levels. Today's guest is Dr. Becky Smethurst. She is an astrophysicist who specialises in black holes. <laughs> Becky, hello and thank you for coming. But can I just suggest that before we actually speak mm-hmm. about the subject, that we maybe have a two or three minute amnesty where Joe can just get everything off his chest mm-hmm. about the phrase black holes. I don't need to. I don't need to. Don't, don't show me up like that. I don't need oh, to. Oh, you can. Honestly, I once put a video out called Hairy Black Holes. <laughs> and <laughs> Becky, you're on the right show. I literally, like, completely innocently didn't think anything of it. And the entire comment section was Joe's face right now. <laughs> Any thoughts on Hairy Black Holes, Joe? <laughs> My thoughts? Oh, you are a doctor. Is that a real doctor? Or is that, like, on a form where... You get to choose. You get to choose what you what you are. Because I haven't met a doctor that has ever done an innuendo on hairy black holes. It's a PhD rather than a medical doctor. It's just like Ross in Friends. Oh, it's like PhD. Ross in Friends never said hairy black holes. No, he didn't. <laughs> right, the silliness is out of me. There might be is an it? occasional. Yeah, there's a, sure. Yeah, like that. Okay, we'll see. There might be an occasional slip up back into a black hole. <laughs> slip back into. Oh, I can't help it. All jokes aside, what on earth is an astrophysicist? So I like to describe it as someone who answers questions that we don't know the answer to yet about space. That's ideal. How has that answer confused the question? (laughs) What? (laughs) Just a warning for listeners. There's going to be a fair few what's. I can feel it in my bones. Maybe a fair few what the fucks and maybe a fair few silences because that was the opening answer to the opening question. <laughs> and I don't know how to put it. All right, so I, I study stuff in space, right? Okay. Everyone's like, what's the point? What do you actually do? Yeah. I'm like, well, there's stuff we still don't know, stuff we haven't figured out yet. So that's my job, is to figure out the stuff we still don't know. Okay, that, that now, now that I've taken time to actually... Process. Yeah, process that and not think of different innuendos um, and actually make yeah. some eye contact with you I understand yeah. the answer now I think easier to answer is to say what I don't do which is astrology which is you know the like, Gemini yeah like Mercury is in Taurus which means that everyone born in May will have we in the lottery and you're like no Mercury's been orbiting the sun for four and a half billion years it doesn't give a fuck what we do down here so that would be your reply to Mystic Meg if you met her pretty much yeah Joe, we, we always do a lot of research on this show, um, by which I mean that we look at Wikipedia. <laughs> in preparation um, for today's discussion about black holes, mm-hmm. Becky, I've put black hole in Wikipedia. And I have to be honest, there's not a single sentence, even in the opening <laughs> introduction, that I understand. All right. Let's so let's go down. through this. Just to clarify before yeah. moving on, you specialise in black holes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay. my research. It's so, like growth of black holes. <laughs> I threw that one in there just for you. <laughs> Over to you, And sentence number one on Wikipedia's entry on black holes. A black hole is a region of space-time. Mm-hmm. I'm stuck already. Mm-hmm. Space-time. Just space. It's fine. Okay. A black hole is a region of space, not time, where gravity is so strong that nothing, no particles or even electromagnetic radiation such light. as light... Mm-hmm can escape from it. Joe, does that make any sense to you? 
All I'm seeing is myself getting into bed. <laughs> and I've got 15, 20 minutes, maybe half hour before I shut my eyes and go to sleep. And sometimes I'll just have a quick flick on my phone on Candy Crush. Mm-hmm. And the level... <laughs> Sorry, we're back in like 2008 right now. <laughs> I know. I've, it's come back around. Come back okay. around. Very really old phone. into it now. And the level I'm on, I'm on 72 at the minute. Don't want to brag about it, but I'm on level 72. And there's a little section in it where they've got black holes. Yeah, it's, see? You, I don't think I got to that high no, level. No, there you go. I should have kept playing. I would have got into it. And in it, this, though. some of the candy drops through this black hole mm-hmm. and then comes out of another black hole. Mm. And that is my knowledge of black Mm-mm. holes. See, that would be a wormhole. The right, that it so went they're different, else. are they? Yeah, completely different. So a black hole is something, if something fell in, it would never come back out. So I like to describe them as like prisons for light, Ooh. like a permanent prison. That's how I like to think of it. Joe, I'm going to give you the second sentence uh, from Wikipedia's entry on black holes. See if it makes any more sense to either of us. <clears throat> the theory of general relativity predicts that a sufficiently compact mass can deform space-time to form a black hole. Okay. Yeah. Okay, you understood that, did you? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's talking about Einstein's stuff. So Einstein, back in like the early 20th century, like 1912, I think it was, he said, yeah, Newton's ideas on gravity. <laughs> Tosh. They can't actually describe a lot of stuff that we see in the universe. We need a better idea of how to describe gravity. And he said, you can essentially think about gravity as if, like, take a a bed sheet and stretch it taut, or a trampoline or something like that, and chuck a football, maybe. Can't be a rugby ball, unfortunately, because it's not the right shape, but chuck a football in the middle, and it will, like, depress the center of the trampoline, right? It will squish it down. And so basically he said, when you have mass in the universe, so Earth or the sun, or a star, that's essentially what it's doing to space around it, is curving it. So that anything then traveling around that will travel on this curved path. So you can imagine if you then grabbed a ping pong ball and sent it rolling on your trampoline, and you set it just in the right place, it would just go in this perfect circle around the football in the middle, right? You know, you could spend days doing it, right? Like a trick shot almost, trying to get it like perfectly going around in a circle. And that's how you can describe like Earth's orbit around the sun. And he basically came up with the maths to say, okay, depending on how heavy something is, this is how much like space would get curved by it. And if you take that to the extreme by saying get heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier, eventually you get something that's so heavy that not even light has enough energy to like claw its way out of the big depression that it puts into space. How much, if Joe were dropped into space, how much would he? (laughs) Why am I always getting dropped into shit? (laughs) Can't we drop you into shit? Yeah, for sure. I just think you would bend space time. Space time? Mm-hmm. You would bend space time a little bit more. Would okay. he? We have more mass, so yes, technically. I mean, technically, you're bending space time right now, Fuck. and that we are the two of us are like attracted to you gravitationally. Is that what it's going on? Yeah. <laughs> you smudged it. I get that a lot. <laughs> but it's such a tiny, tiny amount, right? Compared oh. to like the gravity you're feeling towards the Earth pulling you down right now. I'm being pulled down by every sentence you say. <laughs> I don't mean to, like, depress you. <laughs> oh. Do you want sentence number three? I'm not going to do the whole Wikipedia. Entry. Is it from Wikipedia? Yeah, but listen to this one because it's just baffling me. The boundary of no escape is called the event horizon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, Joe? The boundary, boundary of no of escape, no escape. Mm-hmm. is so called... You can't get out. Yeah. It's called the event horizon. 
Picture it like the edge of the Grand Canyon, the boundary of no I've, escape. I've never been. Well, okay, uh, Cheddar Gorge. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Not been there either. Not been there, all right. Um, all right. Hang on, there's a pond in Darch's Wood up near where I live, mm -hmm. and the pond drops off into like a, a ravine. Right. So I'm there. Yeah, so like you're walking along, and then if you accidentally go over that edge of that ravine, right, you'll fall down into the ravine, and then you might not. You're a bit of a struggle to get back out, probably. You'll probably manage it. I wouldn't, right, to get oh, back Mr. out. Um, and that's the idea, is that it's the boundary at which point you, you wouldn't be able to escape because you'd need to be traveling faster than the speed of light, which right. is 300,000 kilometers a second, and that's the fastest speed that is in the entire universe. Nothing can travel faster than it. So therefore, nothing can escape a black hole when it crosses that point of, like, no return. Say some words, Joe. <laughs> what is a black hole? <laughs> Definition from NASA. Uh-huh. A black hole is a place in space where gravity pulls so much that even light cannot get out. The gravity is so strong because matter has been squeezed into a tiny space. This can happen when a star is dying. Or dead, really. This can happen when a star is dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So basically, yeah, you've got a, a black hole is essentially like it starts life as a star, right? So star happily burning hydrogen into helium. That's its fuel. That's how the sun powers itself. Okay. And it gives out a, like two ton of energy in the process. And all of that energy pushes against gravity that's crushing in that star. So when the fuel runs out, gravity has nothing to resist it. So it just starts crushing inwards. Where's the gravity coming from? Just the fact that there's so much stuff there. There's so much mass there and so because there's so much mass there with nothing pushing back outwards on that it just starts to squish inwards so i mean if you could right now like take your phone out your pocket and squish it down with enough force that you could take all the space out of atoms completely don't want to break my phone mm, you don't want to break your phone and also i don't think we're i mean i'm definitely not strong enough my little noodle arms maybe joe could probably <laughs> do it but I mean, like, if you could physically squish it down that much, you could make a black hole out of your phone. Ooh. You just need some process that's strong enough to do that. And the only process we know is this death of a star where the fuel runs out and you've just got all of this matter that's just like nothing's holding it up anymore and it just collapses down. And it becomes so dense, the gravity is so strong, light can't escape. Why do we need to know that? <laughs> Your response to having your mind blown by Becky <laughs> is to say, why the fuck do I need to know that? It's a good question. I though. didn't swear. And the okay. tone in which I said it was... Um, it's a little aggressive. Sincere. Okay. I thought it was curious and sincere. It's a, it's a legit question though. Like, why bother figuring this stuff out, right? Like, why do we... What would we use a black hole for? Well, exactly, right? It's like, what's the point in studying them at all if we can't use them like here on Earth for some exploitation if we can't use it for capitalism what's the point <laughs> <laughs> but you get this question all the time is like why do we bother studying the universe and i mean to me it's that humans will always be curious we want to know what's out there why do we cross oceans why do we climb mountains you know that kind of thing but then at the same time like astronomy and astrophysics have given us so much through the fact that basically you are pushing the boundaries of technology so for example like your phone right now has two technologies that were invented by astrophysics camera and Wi-Fi. I thought um, BT did my 
<laughs> no, but like invented, not like provided, right? It, I mean, it literally didn't exist until astrophysics came along. People were taking images on these huge, big, clunky metal plates. Like, and you know, in terms of like old photographs that you had to go down to the shop and get developed, right? Like it was the same thing that ast- astronomers were doing. And it wasn't very precise because you had no idea how much light you were receiving from stars or galaxies or whatever. So they were like, we really need a better way of doing this, like a digital way. And so they invented like a digital detector of light that then was developed into like digital cameras. And then Wi-Fi comes from people who were using what we call radio astronomy telescopes. So they were literally listening for radio lights coming from the universe. Radio lights? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so radio stations send signals on radio light. It's detected by your radio, which then turns it into sound. So people get confused with this idea of like radio sound, I'm radio light. Confused, yeah. Yeah. That, okay, that blew your mind. <laughs> so <laughs> so s- sound, what I hear when I turn on my little radio mm-hmm. was originally light. Yes. And then in that radio, mm-hmm. something. <laughs> yeah. Turns that into a noise. Yes. It's like a, in a, you've ever seen a speaker move back and forward? Mm, yeah. Like when you stand next to it, that's basically producing the sound wave. It's like a pressure wave. You know how like if someone claps really loud, you really almost like, you feel it as like a pressure yeah. in your head. All sound waves are essentially just like pressure waves that move your eardrum back and forth like those speakers. You also mentioned Wi-Fi. Yeah. Astrophysicists mm-hmm. invented yeah, yeah. Wi-Fi. So you've got people using telescopes that detect that kind of light. And they were basically, the bigger the light wave gets, the bigger the telescope you need. So they were building telescopes that were across like kilometers of like the ground. And they had antennae like spread all around that. And they wanted to combine the signals from those antennae. And they found that when they did that, they were really weak and they, it just wouldn't work. And in the same way, when Wi-Fi came to be invented... Essentially, when you send a Wi-Fi signal out around your house, people who live in, like like I do, a house with solid brick walls in the middle rather than, like, wooden walls. That's oh, a nightmare. Absolute like, you nightmare. don't get Wi-Fi signal, like, in, like, the room next door. And that's essentially because that Wi-Fi signal is just bouncing off all the walls, floors, ceilings, everything. But and it gets a booster. Get yourself a booster. Well, yeah. So the booster picks it up again. And the booster, as your phone does, uses the same technology that astrophysicists develop to combine the Wi-Fi, the radio signals from all of their telescopes. And it uses the same exact technology. And without it, Wi-Fi would be absolutely terrible. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got bad Wi-Fi. Have you? When, we, when we've uh, had to do this show remotely, mm. I have to fuck off up the road to the Esso garage. <laughs> um, Big open space. Yeah, and it's got great 4G. Mm-hmm. And there's, I, I, there's a massive tower near it that's got a red light on top. And I think it's something to do with signal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just presume it is. But if I wanted to improve my Wi-Fi, which Steve, the former producer of this show, mm-hmm. always used to have a go at me at, have a go at me for. So from my router, mm-hmm. Wi-Fi router, and it's bouncing off that wall and it's blocking, it's just not mm-hmm. coming. Say that's the wall there to my right. If I cut a hole in that wall, yeah, would that make my signal better? In the next room, yeah. I mean, you might... Because would it find... Does it have to be a direct route to that... <laughs> hole or would it just bounce around until it found the hole and then it goes oh I'm going through this hole well where the router puts out in all directions so 360 okay so it would find it would find its way I wouldn't suggest cutting a hole in your wall probably put the router next to a door (laughs) would probably be the the better option because there's already a hole in your wall with the door the door but the wire's not long enough 
get yeah, extension away, cable then. that you use when you're mowing your lawn. What the fuck has mowing my lawn got to do with my Wi-Fi? <laughs> you know the big extension cable you use when you plug in and then... What do you mean the Ethernet cable? I don't plug it? in my sit-on lawnmower. No, it's my seat. <laughs> <laughs> Try and trip me up, motherfucker. <laughs> this show is sponsored by the following magnificent people. The Spaniel Rob Springit. Sweet Caroline Harris. Desmond Cito listens to the podcast now. The laptop Joe Dell. John Dickinson's Real Deal. Take that, James Barlow. Tom Robinson, Kyle Lewis, and the Duke, Rupe Ellington. All is fairs in love and war. It's Matthew Fairs. The joystick, Ben Joyce. Shearer, Shearer. It's Ben Shearer and John Walton Towers. To be more like all of them, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler Show, become an official sponsor, and grow the show today. What's the speed of light? 300,000 kilometres a second. So if you see that light behind my head? Yeah. If I turn that off? Yeah. And then I turn it back on? <laughs> that's travelling at what? 300,000 kilometres a second? Yeah. Are you about- but when I turned that on, mm-hmm. is the light I'm seeing old? No, it's just come from that light, but it probably have pinged off a load of walls before it reached your eyes. No, no, so no, instantaneously. No. Is, is, so, so the light I'm looking at in that light, yeah, now, mm-hmm. fuck, that's bright. Yeah, is that light now? Oh, it's a few nanoseconds, or is old. it from yeah. the past? Yeah, it's from a few nanoseconds ago when it was released by that light. So I'm seeing the you. past. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But when you see the past, wherever you look, like looking at you now, you're a few nanoseconds older than what you're actually doing when the light left you and hit me. The sun we're seeing as it was eight minutes ago. What? Mars we see as it was 30 minutes ago, just because the light... Okay, now, when do you see long. Mars? <laughs> Mars, you can see it at night. You can't see it... I don't think you can see... Oh, can you see it at the minute? I think it rises early morning at the minute. You can see Jupiter and Saturn in the night sky. Without without um, an eyepiece? Yeah, you can see them. You can pick them out, really. I saw it in New York last week even. It even despite all the light pollution. It was but, amazing. So the sun's eight minutes old? Yeah. So we're seeing the sun eight minutes ago, mm-hmm. if we look at it. Yes. What Sorry. about the North Star? The North Star, oh, how, I don't even know how far away Polaris is because it's pretty faint. So it must be a couple of hundred light years away. So we've seen it as it was a hundred years ago. <gasps> so. Yeah. Can we look into the past? <laughs> yes. That's right. literally what telescopes do is look into the past. And it's how we know so much about the universe. Because when we see more and more distant galaxies, you see them as they were like billions of years ago. So you actually know what the universe looked like billions of years ago and you compare it to now and go what's the difference it's like a game of spot the difference and you try and put the pieces of the puzzle together to be like what physics can explain this spot the difference that i've seen so can we travel back in time no <laughs> not a flat no under the laws of physics as we understand them no can we go forward sort of <gasps> a single person if you could get in a spacecraft and travel really, really fast for a really long time, let's say 50 years, I mean, not that 50 years, let's say 10 years, right? Close towards the speed of light. 10 years would pass for you, but say on the Earth, where they weren't traveling that fast, 50 years would have passed. So in a sense, you could travel to the future 
But really what's happening is that people who aren't moving experience more time than the people who are moving. Would you do it, Jo? So it's like if it's raining and mm-hmm. um, say we're walking down opposite sides of the street and you, Tom, mm-hmm. are walking at your normal snail pace and I run twice as fast as what you're moving, Dr. Becky, who would be wetter? <laughs> I'm really sorry, but this is a common misconception. You both be as wet as each other because you're both walking through the same density amount of rain. Same no, section. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. You just said we could travel into the future. I was talking about special relativity, not rainfall. If you could go as fast as possible whatever, in the speed of light, you'd go 10 years, Earth goes 50. But actually, you're moving through mm. space Mm-hmm. faster than people mm-hmm. on earth mm-hmm. so you just experience space more i'm experiencing more rain than tom is because i'm moving faster like so the I'm rain getting... is falling at the same rate that's the issue there in that problem it's not anything to do with time so what you're saying is <laughs> what i've just said has no relevance to this conversation <laughs> absolute bollocks no no relevance at all sorry <laughs> i'm apo- i'm apologizing to you publicly sorry <laughs> I love the chat though, it was great. <laughs> Joe, if you had the chance to do what Becky has described and you were able to get into a spaceship that was fast enough and you travelled through space for 10 years and then came back to Earth, everything's moved on 50 years. So Jasper is 58. Oh. Maggie is 56. 56. So Jasper and Maggie are older than you. How old am I? You've only aged 10 years. So you're 42, are you? So they'd be older than me. Mm. <sighs> <laughs> it's, it's something called special relativity. It was sort of Einstein's first thing he did before he sort of tried to tackle gravity. And it confuses a lot of people. It's the plot of many a sci-fi film. If you've seen Interstellar. Exactly. What do you remember thinking. when they like leave the guy on the spaceship yeah. and they go down to that planet and they're like, oh no, we can just do one more thing. And I'm there yelling at my screen like, he's going to be so old. <laughs> like go back already. Like they spend five minutes on this planet and he's like 20 years. So Interstellar is as close as you're going to get to possibly reality. In terms of making it happen, but in a dramatised situation. Yeah, everything has to have some fiction as long as the science fiction, yeah. But they do really well with like the special relativity and general relativity stuff. (coughs) Dr. Becky, Uh so you see this piece of paper. I see it. Picture this piece of paper Mm -hmm. as as time. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I like how you've adopted the... So the quasi-scientific terminology of someone who actually knows what they're talking about. I love quavers. <laughs> I bloody love quavers as well. This is now. <laughs> yeah, so Hang on, is, you're yeah. pointing at one end of the piece of Yeah, this paper. is yeah. now. It's the A4 paper you're holding in front of you. This is now. Mm-hmm. And this is six months from The now. other end of the piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is how we see it. Light just travels from there to there. Yeah. 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 If I could bend this. Mm-hmm. Fucking wish I could bend it now. <laughs> If yep. I could bend it yep. so that that six months is actually it. closer to now, mm-hmm. does that mean I could... <laughs> travel in time. Travel in time. It's, it's sort of... Can we bend this piece of paper? So what you've kind of time? described there is a wormhole. 
Okay. Except in space rather than in time. You could do what you're talking about and skip six months by traveling faster than everyone else, but you couldn't do it instantaneously. You'd have to travel for, say, you know, a month very, very fast to then it be six months for everybody else on Earth that's not moving. But that idea of, say, if instead of it being now and six months ago on each end of the paper, what if it was Earth and Jupiter on the other end of the paper? Yeah. The idea of a wormhole is that you can bring two bits of space together and sort of punch a hole through them. But it's not a black hole because you have to be able to go in and come out the other side and escape, whereas a black hole, everyone pictures the black hole as a hole. Is it not a hole? It's not a hole. No. Is it Why'd you call it a hole? Well, it comes from that idea of general relativity with the trampoline that I was talking about before where you have something very heavy and so you almost picture it as kind of like the bottom of a well almost. But if anything, like I always think a better word is like dark star. The idea is that they start as stars, they get squished down so much until they're prisons for light so you don't get anything out of them. But they're still these like 3D objects. People ask me like, what's on the other side of a black hole? And you're like, well, that's like saying what's on the other side of the moon. You just go around it you know and have a look but it would look the same from all angles because it'd just be this sphere of where you would get nothing from it how can you see a black hole well this is the really cool thing is that they are actually some of the brightest objects in the entire universe what? they light up like christmas trees what yeah well because they're so heavy they do drag in like gas from the surrounding regions mm -hmm. there's gas surrounding black holes and <laughs> It gets accelerated. Nothing. To nothing. See, he's a stony face, poker face. Inside, um, Becky. Inside, it's a different story. <laughs> and so essentially, if you get this gas spiral around a black hole, it gets sped up by gravity. It's sort of doing like an incredibly fast swirl around it. So it gets really hot. And have you ever seen like, you know, like metal put into a forge, right? When you heat up metal, it starts to glow, right? And in the same way, gas moving very, very quickly, it will start to glow. And in that sense, we actually see them peppering the sky everywhere but not usually in like light we see with our eyes but in like x-rays so in x-ray light if you can take an x-ray telescope and look at the sky there's all these pinpricks of light everywhere and they're all black holes that are growing and taking in this gas you talk about these black holes with such detail yeah how far away are they mm -hmm. aren't they fucking miles away how can you see them <laughs> so some of the black holes are in our own galaxy the milky way which there's, there's black holes near near us right now yeah well there's stars right and when stars die they make black holes. So oh, there's probably that, millions what, of rogue black holes. This is the thing that's really fucking me off. <laughs> Those stars are dead. Yeah. But they're already dead. They're already dead, yeah. And now they're black holes that are growing. So the star, yeah, but the stars that I see at night mm. when it's a clear sky... Yeah. They're not there anymore. No, the majority of those still will be there. That's oh. a common misconception. Some of them that are the most distant probably might have actually gone already. Just because stars live a really long time, and most of the stars are maybe maximum 100,000 years light travel time to us. Whereas most stars will live longer than that. They'll live millions to billions of years. But some of them have already died, have become black holes. There's probably millions, if not billions, of black holes that we'd call rogue black holes, just roaming the space between stars interstellar space and it's nothing to worry about i always people freak out when i say this and it's nothing to worry about because another thing i like to say is that black holes don't suck oh. they don't people picture them as like <laughs> up. people picture them as like hoovers like just sucking everything in but they're, 
<laughs> they're not like that at all. You know, they're, they're, it's very, it's actually very difficult to grow a black hole. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to troll him as much as I can. Now. So could we, is there any chance that Earth could fall into a black hole? No. I mean, there is a chance, but it's so vanishingly small. Even if you could turn the sun into a black hole right now, and the sun won't become a black hole when it dies, the Earth would just keep orbiting around it. Oh. it what's the What's difference. the biggest black hole that we've Ever? discovered then? There is a black hole at the center of a galaxy called TON618 that we think is about 60 billion times the mass of the sun. <laughs> yeah. I would Love suggest um, some work Yes. on names. Mm, yeah. We got fucking millions of words, have we? Go on, why don't you name it then? Thousands, yeah. TON618 needs a better name. Most massive black hole in the entire universe that we know of. What are you going to call it? Tone. Tony. Tony. <laughs> Tony. Love that. Yeah. Tony. Tony. All right, I'll refer to it as Tony from now Tony's on. Tony's black hole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that that's what we call, it would be classed as a supermassive black hole, but it's so massive that it needs another name and that it's called an ultra-massive black hole. Ultra-massive black hole. Yeah. Joe, um, how's your head at this point? <laughs> so we've got black hole. Uh-huh. We've got ultra-massive black hole. Mm -hmm. Are there any other types of black holes? Yeah, there's primordial black holes. What's that? Could be formed in the very early days of the solar system if you have just like almost like atoms coming together that would make something dense enough to become a black hole. And they could be tiny. And then you've got stellar mass black holes, which is your normal bog standard black holes yeah. formed when supernovas, you know, and stars die. And then you've got intermediate mass black holes. We've never found any of these, but they're really like the missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle. Supermassive black holes and ultramassive black holes. That intermediate black mass yeah. black holes. Is that mm -hmm. what I've said? Yeah. How have you named something you've never found? Well, this is the thing. We've got two ton of black holes that we know of that are at the like stellar mass, your bog standard black hole you find in the Milky Way. Then we've got all these supermassive black holes that we find in the middle of galaxies. And the question is, okay, how did they get so supermassive? How did they grow to that big? Did they start life as your bog standard normal black hole right. that's maybe like 10 times the mass of the sun? If they did, then they must have grown to become a million to a billion times the mass of the sun, passing through intermediate mass stage of like, let's say 10,000 times the mass of the sun. But we never found any that big. So it's so, like we've got a photo of Joe at the age of five and mm -hmm. a photo of Joe today. Exactly. We haven't got any photos of Joe at 14, but we know that Joe must have gone from five to 32 that somehow. That is the best analogy. Yeah. yeah. Because that's literally what we've got. We've got observations of the universe with telescopes. We've literally got images of these things, images of these things, and we don't have images of anything in the middle. Well done on that analogy, Tom. <laughs> What's dark matter? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So dark matter, we know it's there because we see its effects of gravity. We see stuff moving around it. We see it sort of warping space, as we say. But it doesn't absorb or emit or reflect or interact with light in any way. Like light almost just doesn't know it's there. Sorry, if it doesn't interact with light at all, mm -hmm. how do we see it? Well, we see it through its effects from gravity. Right. And we also sort of like know it's there from the maths of everything as well. Like you almost need it to hold galaxies together. If it wasn't there, like galaxies would fly apart. It's one of the only ways we know of to explain how galaxies rotate. And people often struggle with this idea of, well, if it doesn't interact with light, you know, how do we know it's there? And I often say, well, 
you can't see wind, like the wind, but you see the trees move, so you know the wind is there. That's so much better than my photography <laughs> metaphor that we used before the advert. You can't see wind. You can't see the wind, right? But but you see trees move, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you know the wind is blowing when you see the trees move, but you can't see wind itself. Uh... <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> right you can't see that and so in the same way like we can't see dark matter but we know it's there because we see it's affects due to gravity like it's affects due to gravity is like the trees moving so it like gives it away that it's there i would like to know i'm interested in this quantum mechanics because mm. the research that i've done on black holes <laughs> yes. a couple of weeks ago <laughs> that kept cropping up mm. so th there's this battle between the quantum mechanics mm -hmm. and gravity. Yeah. And that modern day astrophysicists mm -hmm. feel that quantum mechanics should replace the theory of gravity. Yeah. And that that oh. isn't, it's not quite as simple as just there's a gravitational pull to the earth. How close am I? You're pretty close. <gasps> really pretty, like really good close. Like to the, the point where like there's these big, there's almost like two pillars of physics, the Hordock physics, quantum mechanics which is like the world of the very small. And then like general relativity, which is sort of the world of the very big, almost a massive objects. And for ages, we've wanted a theory that links the two things. So almost like quantum gravity. We want to be able to explain what gravity is on the very, very small level in terms of like what are actual individual particles do. So when you say small level, you mean smaller than an ant. Smaller than an <laughs> atom, even. So smaller how small is an atom? If, um, I, if I give you... You tell me when to stop. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to have to get closer and closer and closer. It's never tight. Yeah, probably, yeah, even less than that. Could I see an atom with the naked eye? No. Like an atom itself is not point, hang on, no, 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 one meters wide. So we're dealing with like the weird and wonderful, but like to the point where quantum mechanics is all based on probability. So, like, there's a weird probability that one atom can be in one place, but there's a very small probability it could be in another place. So, like, quantum mechanics basically says that there is a very, very small chance that, like, the edge of this table isn't here right now. Oh. Yeah. It is. And it is, right, because we can feel it. We've observed it to be there, so now it is there. But there's a very small chance that it might not be there. It, it's very strange, right? We obviously know there's that that's There's a very small chance that that's not works. there. Yeah vanishingly small like that an atom could shift position and not be on the edge of that table anymore how big is the universe well hmm, the observable universe that we can see goes back to this idea that we can only see light that has had enough time to get to us so we can only see light that's been traveling for the 13.8 billion years that the universe has been around so the observable universe is what uh 27.6 billion years across so double that 13.8 billion years in that direction, 13.8 billion years in that direction, and 360 degrees in all other directions. But that's only what we can see. There's probably stuff beyond that that the light hasn't had enough time to get to us yet. So we actually have no idea how big the universe is. If it's, if it's infinite or not, we don't know. I just can't conceive of that, Joe. People say that a lot. Like when you're when you're doing your work, you know, every day at your desk, just like crunching numbers, like that are big numbers, and you think about all this kind of stuff. How do you not just have existential crises yeah. every day? Like. And it can get to the point where you just have to just not think about it and, and put that aside and be like, no, no, I'm just trying to do this statistics or something on these numbers or whatever it is. 
But also, like, people get it when they even just look up at the sky and yeah. they're like, whoa, like, the universe is giant. Like, how do you how do you cope with knowing how big it is? And I'm like, when I look up at the sky and you see all that, I kind of feel like hope. Like, there's infinite possibilities and infinite places you could go and things you could do and people you could be. And, yeah, I guess. I guess That's such a sweet way of looking at it. How do you feel, Joe, when you lie on your back and you're, let's say, on a holiday and you, you know, you, you can see the stars? What do you think? I'm feeling in, insignificant. No. Oh. In a good way. Oh, in a good way. Okay. I feel like I'm one of those atoms. Mm. And it's quite calming to me <laughs> in the same way when I go sea bobbing and I go out into the sea and then I look out at this vastness, I just feel insignificant mm -hmm. in a positive way that. If I'm in, if I feel insignificant because of this vastness, that means the stuff that's going on in my head that is yeah. negative or I've struggled with that week is even more insignificant to the world, yeah. and that just helps me reset it. Yeah, that's why I like looking up at the stars as well. Which film, Becky, mm -hmm. based in space, is most realistic? Oh, um. I'd probably say The Martian because, I mean, we're sort of getting to that point where people are thinking about sending humans to Mars, which I personally don't think is a good idea, but we can get to that. Um, bombshell. But there's uh, water there, so we'll be fine. It's not the fact that it's like not a good idea for us. It's more of the fact that it's not a good idea for science because if you want to know if there's life on Mars, sending humans to Mars, worst mistake you can make because what do humans produce? Waste. And then you contaminate the surface of Mars. And then any life like evidence of life you might find, people will be like, yeah, but it could just be evidence of humans being on Mars is what you found. And one of the biggest questions you can ask about is there life on Mars is if it looks the same as life on Earth or not. Because if it does, then they came from the same thing. So maybe like comets brought the ingredients for life to Earth in the early days of the solar system and maybe like some of it managed to spray off towards Mars and all those impacts. Or if it looks completely different to Earth, then life on Mars and life on Earth somehow spontaneously happened separately. What? Yeah, and this is the question I want to like. I want to see answered, right? And if we send humans to Mars, you can't fucking do it. So we took a probe would do the job. Yeah, exactly. Nice unmanned probe. Just keep Jack. sending unmanned probes, uncrewed probes. Actually, I wanted to ask a question, Becky. So, right at the very start of this podcast, mm. we had a very nice chat with Tim Peake. And we asked him about aliens, mm -hmm. whether he thought aliens would exist. I don't know about you, Joe. I was ex very much expecting a no. Yeah. He gave us a yes. Mm. Did I'm, he? I thought yeah. he said potentially. Yeah, he gave us a potentially a yes. Okay. Oh, I would he say didn't a say no. Yes. You've given us a full on yes. I would give you a full. I mean, yes, they, that there is other life out there in the universe. Do I think like we'll ever communicate with it? No. My sort of like logic for this is, have you ever seen, there's a really cool picture I mean, we've just had the James Webb Space Telescope images come out as well, but there's also something called the Hubble Ultra Deep Field. The Hubble Space Telescope took this image where it stared at the, the darkest patch of sky that we know for like months on end. And people had no idea what they'd expect. And they found like 5,000 galaxies in it. Yeah. And it was a <laughs> patch of sky that was about, um, I think it was something like one or 2% of the size of the full moon. On oh my it God. was 2%, yeah. 2%. So imagine taking 5,000, right, times by uh, 50, because then that covers the entire full moon. If you've got 2% of the full moon, it has 5,000 galaxies in it. And then you think, okay, well, how many full moons are across the sky? It's actually pretty small. The full moon's only half a degree 
and the sky is 360 degrees round in every direction. So very quickly, you go from 5,000 into the quadrillions, like quadrillions with of galaxies. Like, yeah, a one with like, you know, 20 odd zeros or 25 zeros, like loads of zeros after it. And if you think, well, every one of those galaxies has a trillion stars in it. So multiply your very big number by another very big number. And you've got the number of stars in the universe. And then if you think, well, our star, the sun, has at least eight planets and then two ton of moons and asteroids. Let's say it's got a thousand things in the solar system. <laughs> and then times that by a thousand to get the number of like bodies there are in the solar system. There's just no, like the, the probability of it of us being the only one is just insane. Like it would be so, so low. So I think it's very likely that there is life elsewhere in the universe. Life in our galaxy I think is another thing because there's obviously only like, you know, so many stars in our galaxy. But I think it's still very, very likely, just very unlikely we'd ever make contact with them because of this problem that light takes time to travel. Like the nearest star to us is after the sun is four light years away. So if you ever find life on that planet that could communicate a one way, like a conversation would take eight years to get a response. You send something, they get it four years later, they send something back, you get it four years after that. It's like the call centre with, with Virgin Mead. <laughs> It's very true. <laughs> I was I was on call with Benjamin a few months ago. And, yes. Um, so, like, that's the thing is that, yes, I mean, life got to exist out there somewhere in the vastness of space, but I don't think they've ever been here or that we'll ever communicate with them. I believe there is some form of life out there. Mm. I want there to be. Would you like to meet it if you could? We can't, as for reasons Becky's just explained. Would you like to? No. Why? Because we fuck things up, don't we? Yeah. Like hum we just fuck it up. Let let them either fuck up their own shit themselves, or let them be in peace. Just we'll ruin it. Just say let them be in peace one more time, because it would make a lovely closing scene to an epic film about space. Let them be in peace. <laughs> just let them be in peace. It wasn't quite Morgan Freeman, was it? No, could you make it more dramatic? That's a bit flat. Let them be in peace. <laughs> Closer. <laughs> Let them be in peace. Now we're talking. What I found fascinating listening to you, Dr. Becky, is the simplicity at which you can explain some of the most complex things I've ever come across. Because... In the research that I did do in the last fortnight, after day one, I text the team on WhatsApp going, fuck me dead. <laughs> Black hole research has blown my mind and I just cannot get my head around it whatsoever. And sitting here listening to you almost talk to us like dummies <laughs> was brilliant because I have some, it's only a little bit, but some form of understanding becky you have mm. written yes. a brand new book called a brief history of black holes it's got a lovely sparkly cover yeah. and i say <laughs> that not in lieu of anything else about your book but it is startlingly sparky yeah i mean that was basically my only request for the cover was like i don't want i, mean, I don't know if you've ever been into the science or space section of like a waterstones or something loads but yeah, it's it black covers everywhere, yeah. very monochrome, and I was like, no, <laughs> let's make it colourful, let's make it pretty, and let's make it sparkly because why the hell not? Like a black hole. <laughs> yeah, in my head, that's what they're like. 
the, the thing on the cover, is that a black hole? Because That's the idea, yeah, is that it's sort of this swirl around, like we were talking about the, the gas swirling around it before and, and lighting it up and letting us know that it's there. That's sort of the, yeah, the idea about it. And the book really goes into like, you know, sort of like using the history of our understanding of black holes to get people to understand what they are and how we understand them today. Because like, I feel like we learn so much at school what we know in science and it's like facts 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 and that's not really what science is science is all the stuff we don't know still otherwise all, all the scientists would be out of job if we knew everything um and it's sort of like delving back into that history of who figured something out and how they figured that out to be able to understand like what we know now so it's very like chronological in terms of like okay like einstein for example never even thought of the idea of a black hole like people like wait what and then like we landed on the moon in the 1960s so 1969 we landed on the moon did we yes we didn't know <laughs> well done the, Becky yeah. slap that one <laughs> we didn't know at the time that there was a supermassive black hole at the centre of the Milky Way like we hadn't even by the time we landed on the moon detected or observed the first black hole in space black holes were still theoretical then so it's just sort of getting people used to the idea that there's so much we don't know about black holes because it's still such a massively young science so yeah, it was it was really good fun to write, and I hope people have as much fun reading it. And we can find you on YouTube as well. Yeah, what, yeah. What sort of explanations can we discover on there? Yeah, so I have a channel called Doctor Becky, and essentially I chat about what's new in space news and how we know things, and again, like the history of stuff. So I have a video on like the history of dark matter and all the evidence we've collected for it over the past century um, and stuff like that. So it's it's sort of like all the questions you can't Google. Because when you Google them, you just get scientific articles that come out that, to be honest, are written in a different language that me and my colleagues used to communicate with each other. You read it and you're like, you know, I have no idea what that's saying. So I'm almost like translating it for people who are interested in this stuff, you know, and just want to hear more about it. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. What you can also find by Googling Milky Way and black holes. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> I would like to thank you from the bottom of my hole <laughs> for coming on and helping me and Tom, both self-proclaimed dummies when it comes to black holes, for enlightening us. Which is strange because light doesn't go in black holes, does it? It goes in, it doesn't come back out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, someone will ask you, what did you learn today? And you'll be like, I have no idea. Yeah. Dr. Becky, in all seriousness, you have been wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Becky. I feel stupid, so stupid. I feel cleverer after that. Why do you feel stupider? I've just realised how much about the world I don't know. But you've just been told more about it, so that's my interpret. You're, you're a glass half empty, man. I'm a glass half mine. <laughs> It's my glass. I've just looked out and there are so many glasses that I didn't even know existed. The strength it took me on several occasions <laughs> during that wonderful, wonderful talk to not make an innuendo or a pun. I've never had to work so hard in my life. She was great. I was worried about it, but I, I loved it. She was absolutely brilliant. I hope the listeners like that one too. Well, if you did enjoy the episode and you'd like to support the show, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify and Patreon. For just a pound a week, you can get bonus content, ad-free episodes and Joe at the very same time. They will be... Yeah, they'll be growing the show. I'm not doing the silly Mandela voice anymore. John Robbins showed me up. I spoke to him 
the other day and he does it a hundred times better. So this could be the end of Mandela. I give it a week. If you would like another podcast to listen to in the meantime, we've got a brand new one we're rather excited about. Beef's Golf Club. Beef, beef, beef. The very same joke. This is a brand new podcast with European tour winner Beef Johnston and his golf fanatic friend, John Robbins. Yeah, now they can take the Mandela because he's unbelievable. We shall see. This is going to be, hopefully, the world's greatest golf club, covering a different golf topic every week and featuring a whole host of guests. There's no excessive membership fee. Everyone is welcome. Simply listen wherever you get your podcasts to become a member of... Beefs! Golf Club. What's your handicap, Tom? About 24 at the moment because I've got children. Oh, cool. Who's on next week? It's a wedding planner, Joe. Ding dong. Merrily on high. Gloria. Hosanna in Goodbye. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Sports Social Podcast Network.